You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. It is Resurrection Sunday. Can we just take a moment right now and just celebrate? Celebrate by praising God that Jesus has conquered the grave. He's conquered the grave. Death no longer gets the last word. Death cannot hold him. It does not have a grip on him. And because of that, you should never feel like you have to walk away from a graveside, shaking your head, saying, he will never, she will never. The resurrection of Jesus means we can walk away from a graveside saying, he will forever She will forever. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes our perspective on death. It changes our perspective on what happens there. It was about a month ago that I got an email from Kirk Hansen. He's one of the members here at Northside. And in it, he shared an image that had touched him. And when I saw it, it touched me as well. This was what was in that email. It really doesn't require a lot of explanation. I mean, you can just look at the sculpture that you see there and it, it kind of explains itself. You can get a feel for what's happening there. Perhaps even you feel like you know a little bit what could have been going on in this young boy's life. Yet the story goes like this. Matthew Robinson was born on September 23rd, 1988. And he was not expected to live more than a few hours because he was deprived of oxygen at birth. And because of the brain injury that happened, they just thought he might live for a few hours, but he lived for a lot longer than that. By God's grace and power, by his strength and endurance, he was able to survive for years. He was mostly paralyzed, blind, uh, could only speak a few words, but his joy was just contagious to people. He, he always was smiling and had this joy about him in spite of the struggles that he had as this young man. And people were inspired about it. People would bring people to come meet him from school. I mean, they, people loved him. He passed away. He died in his sleep on Sunday, February 21st, 1999, at the age of 10 and a half years old. His father, Ernest Robison, who was a long-term, long-time expert in biomechanical engineering and also an artist, he's the one that created this sculpture to be used there, placed right at the tombstone of his son's grave. And he designed it. He created it. It depicts Matthew rising up out of this wheelchair with this, his hand reaching skyward in declaration, confined to that chair for most of his life. He was now free from earthly burdens. And I'm just telling you, you don't have a sculpture like this without a resurrection. There are no tombstones that exist like this without a resurrection. There's no hope like this without a resurrection. It was only because Jesus is alive we have that kind of hope. Without the resurrection... The grave is simply a place of finality and defeat. It's simply a place of lostness and hopelessness. But because of the resurrection, because of that, the grave can become a place where we stand roaring, declaring boldly and proclaiming with assurance that there is hope and there is life after this. It's a place of healing and restoration. It can be a declaration of that. And so at the grave of a believer... There can be a roar of hope that is far louder than the silence of the grave.
There's a song we're going to be singing after this message. It's called What a Beautiful Name It Is. And, and I, I just love the bridge of that song. Because the bridge says, death could not hold you. The veil, it tore before you. You silence the boast of sin and the grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. There is a roar. That's what Easter is. That's what Resurrection Sunday is. It is a roar of God's people all over the globe, all over the earth, that he is alive and that death is defeated and that we can have hope in the face of death. Phil Wickham wrote a song. He's a musical artist and it was written for Resurrection Sunday. And that song is called Sunday's Coming. The chorus goes like this. Friday's good because Sunday is coming. Don't lose hope. Because Sunday is coming. Devil, you're done. You better start running. Friday's good because Sunday's coming. I love Easter Sunday. I love Resurrection Sunday. I, I love the hope that we have in the face of death. And to be honest, probably every single Resurrection Sunday, I come into it with this, man, I'm ready to celebrate. I mean, Friday was for mourning. Sunday's for celebrating, if you know what I mean. And I usually come in just swinging and the joy and the, and the excitement of new life and resurrection and all that stuff. But I actually want to take a different approach today. It's not that we're not going to celebrate or haven't been. We have and we will. But I'm not sure you can actually understand or appreciate hope in the face of death unless you face death. Before you have hope, before there's a resurrection, there you've got to face death. And I want to do that for a, a few minutes today. And I really appreciate how Psalm chapter 22 does this. Maybe you've got a Bible or device and you want to turn there. We'll, we'll put it on the screen, these scriptures for you to see as well. But it's just, Psalm 22 takes us from despair to deliverance. It takes us from death to resurrection. It is this Psalm that shows us how to have hope in the face of death. It, it does that for us. And I want us to look at this, a psalm that begins like this in verse 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. These were David's words as he wrote them, but I would imagine that for a lot of you, these have been your words before too. There have been times in your life when you've just asked God, why? Why doesn't God stop this? Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God intervene quicker, sooner? Why would God allow this? Why would God abandon me when I need him the most? I thought he was Emmanuel, God with this. Why does he seem so far from me? I think you've had some of the same feelings that David had in Psalm 22 when he wrote that. I know I have. And I've seen people who have. When I was sitting in the hospital with a young couple, they'd been praying for their first child, their first baby. And, and they got to announce that. They were so excited and went for an ultrasound, just like they had done before. But this time there was no heartbeat. So by the time I got to the hospital, they were holding their precious, lifeless body of their baby in their hands. And you say, why, God, are you so far from saving me? When you're standing at the head of a casket and they're in a graveyard and these are 20-something-year-old young men and you do multiple of those, different stories, different circumstances, different things. And 
There's a lot of people there that are asking why. God, why do you feel so far away? Why are you so far from saving me? Why do I feel no rest? It's in moments like that that the weight of grief overwhelms you like the sand of the seas. It can be so heavy like that. You get to the point where wave after wave of grief comes over you to the point where you feel like you can't even shed another tear. And you feel like your whole world has just come to a stop. But no one else's world seems to be coming to a stop. The world keeps on ticking, going on. And you're struggling and you find yourself asking the same questions that Psalm 22 asks. The same questions many people throughout history have asked. Why God? Why are you... Do you, are you seemingly silent? Why have you forsaken me? And if that hasn't happened yet to you, it, it probably will. Maybe right now for you, everything's up and to the right. I mean, maybe everything's going great right now. You went to the dentist and you got no cavities. You went to the doctor and they said, everything looks good. Man, you're, you're excited. Maybe you feel like I did last fall. I went for my annual checkup, went to my doctor. It was, it was a new doctor, had his established with a new doctor. I'm there seeing him and the doctor says to me uh, at, at the end, he says, you know, you might be the most healthy patient I've got. And I was like, really? That makes me feel pretty good. He's like, well, you should also know the average age of my patient is 85. <laughs> Everything was up and to the right. And then uh, I guess, I don't know. And maybe for you, the sun is shining. Relationships are healthy. Emotionally, you're doing well. But even if that's the case, you know, if life hasn't pushed you to the point of asking why, it likely will. On the other hand, there's some of you here today, and maybe through the tears, you're dealing with loss and heartbreak and grief and health scares and depression and sickness and relational conflict. and You're just wondering where God is in the silence of all that. David knows what that's like. He wrote it. He wrote Psalm 22. And what's interesting is when you read Psalm 22 and you look at everything we know of David's life, there's, there's nothing in David's life that completely seems to be explained by Psalm 22. Because Psalm 22 is, sounds more like an execution, actually, as you read through it, than it does like an illness or just a, a disease or some kind of sick. Or it, like, this is intense enough. There's nothing in David's life where we're like, man, he must be thinking of that when he wrote Psalm 22. Which is why it's become a prophetic text. Because now that we sit on this side of history... We realize that everything that we're reading in Psalm 22 wasn't maybe necessarily the best description of what's going on in David's life, what was going on in the life of Jesus. It becomes this prophetic text, a poetic prophetic text of, of what Jesus is going through at the cross. How he faced death and some of the emotions and feelings that he's feeling in that moment at the hands of his enemies. And so what I'm saying is that Psalm 22 is not just David's lament. This is the lament of Jesus from the cross. It's his own lament. In fact, he uses these words. In fact, his words bookend Psalm 22. Psalm 22 begins, why have you forsaken me? That's how Jesus begins. So at 9 a.m., Jesus is crucified. At noon, darkness came over the land. For three hours, it's dark. And we don't have, we don't have one recorded word from Jesus during those three hours. But at 3 p.m., Jesus breaks through the silence with this question, this question of why. That darkness was a sign of judgment. And he breaks through the darkness. He shouts into the darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the last question he asks before he dies. We read about it in Matthew 27, 45 to 50. It says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land. 
until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, the man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The word forsaken can mean abandoned. In this moment, Jesus is feeling the full effect of paying the price for the sins of the whole world in that moment as he's not only being paid, paying the price of sin, but in this moment he feels completely alone. Michael Phillips says in his book, Make Me Like Jesus, he says, until the cross there remained one element of the human condition that Jesus had not yet experienced. He had not yet felt what it was to not know the Father was there. He had never been filled with that universal human perplexity of looking up to the heavens, empty above him, and experiencing the horror of aloneness. It would have been pretty easy for people that day who were watching to assume God was not there. Because when you read Matthew chapter 26 and 27 along with the other gospel accounts and you see what Jesus went through emotionally and physically and spiritually and mentally, I mean, the spiritual anguish he went through in the last 24 hours of his life was relentless. He's betrayed, arrested, abandoned, interrogated, spit upon. He's struck by fists. He's slapped. He's mocked. He's denied. He's flogged. And don't skip over that because according to Mark Moore in his commentary, only six out of 10 men survived. And those who did were carried out on stretchers, permanently mutilated. Roman soldiers encircled him. They stripped him of his clothes. They put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted a crown of thorns on his head and they crucified him, piercing his hands and his feet, then dividing up his clothes. It was just one more way Roman soldiers could say, we own you, we control you. Everything that's yours is ours, including your life. And then the religious opponents, they were mocking him and saying, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. But God did not. After Jesus died, two of his followers were walking down the road to Emmaus. And in their conversation, they said, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. But hope was gone. Hope was lost. Death can make you feel that way. Jesus did die. And hope was everything but lost. God was a no-show. To many people, it felt like God was absent from this situation. And Jesus was human enough to feel it too. And Jesus wants to know why. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night but I find no rest. Luke Erickson, who's the executive pastor at Mountain Christian Church, said questions come when there's a discrepancy between what we can see and what we can't see. And what you can see in the story of Jesus is evil and chaos, an innocent man dying, but what you can't see is that in the realm of the heavenlies, the armies of God are advancing. What you can't see is that the perfect sacrifice for sin is being made and that God's plan and purpose is being played out. What you can't see is that God's love is on display, not just his wrath. What you 
cannot see. It's that God is creating a way for the people that he loves to be able to come back and have life with him. What you can't see is that God is setting everything up for a resurrection. That's what you can't see. What you can't see is that God wins, and therefore you win too. What you can't see is that God is right there. He's right there in the story when everything in the story, the defeat, the evil, the hatred, is just running roughshod over an innocent man and it just seems like God is absent. So much so that Jesus was feeling it. But he was there. Have you ever watched a TV show or or watched a movie and maybe it was one of those where there's a crime has been committed and some camera, maybe a security camera somewhere, caught this, this scene of the crime and And so the investigators are going back and they're looking at the tape and they're coming in, they're looking at what happened and they're watching this. And you're kind of brought into the story almost as if you are like an investigator. You're seeing what they're seeing and it's all playing out and you're watching and you're looking and you're watching all the elements and you go through the whole thing, but there's nothing. Like there's nothing there that gives you the information you need so you can solve the case. And so it kind of goes cold and everybody's giving up. there's, There's nothing else that we can do. But all of a sudden there's that one person in the room that goes, wait. Rewind the tape. Right there. Zoom in there. And they start zooming in. I mean, how many times have you seen this play out? And so they start zooming in. Look closely. And, you're, and, and you are too. Like you're leaning forward in your seat. And you're looking. And all of a sudden there was something there that was there the whole time. You just didn't see it. But it's the thing that gets them what they need so they can solve the case and get the answers they want. It was there. But they just couldn't see it. Psalm 22 shows us There was something there we just didn't see. There's something going on at the cross we just didn't realize was happening at the cross. But there's more to this story than we realize. If you zoom in a little closer, you're going to see, in fact, something you didn't see before or notice before, that God is in the story. And one of the things that you're going to notice is that when Jesus is on the cross, he's quoting Scripture, and not just any Scripture. He's quoting Psalm chapter 22. And he's not just quoting Psalm 22. What he says is the bookends of Psalm 22. It's like Psalm 22 is on his mind when he's in the most agonizing moment of his life, and he's facing death. Psalm 22 is on his mind because everything in Psalm 22 is what he's feeling. It's the emotions he has. It's the feelings he has. It's what he's going through. It's the story. It's the prophecy. It's all right there. And what Jesus says is the bookends of Psalm 22. And it gives him a voice in his suffering. It's like Jesus is saying to us, go there, look there. Look at Psalm 22. That's the story. That's the rest of the story. I can't preach from the cross right now. I'm a little tied up in that way. So go there and look at it. So Psalm 22, written in 1000 BC, 600 years before crucifixion was invented or in use. It prophesies this moment. And it provides something that Jesus relies on in his final moments. And he's quoting Psalm 22, not just because of how it begins, but because of how it ends. You see, Psalm 22 gave Jesus a voice in his suffering. A voice in his suffering. And fed his faith when he was struggling. It gave him a voice in his suffering and fed his faith when he was struggling. And I want us to look at this text. Some of the things that we're going to read right now. This was Jesus' experience. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Sound familiar? 
Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint, and my heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. We know Jesus died of a broken heart. His blood and water flowed. My mouth is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death, Jesus said. He was thirsty. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them, and they cast lots for the garment. Is that not exactly what is happening at the cross? In Psalm 22, it gave Jesus a voice in his suffering, and it fed his faith when he's struggling. And some people hear Jesus shouting out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's how he feels in that moment, seemingly forsaken by God. And they see it as as him giving in. But Michael Brooks, I mean, excuse me, Michael Phillips says, no, it's a climactic shout against Satan's lie that even when Jesus felt completely abandoned, he cries out in the purest form of faith. Faith that exerts itself when no feeling or no reason remains to bolster and sustain it. That is true faith. Jesus called him father when he was still his father. He called out to his father, God. He was still his God. And so Jesus triumphed over life, over Satan, over his humanity. And now on the cross, he is even triumphing over his aloneness by calling out to the father, calling out to God, leaning into him, even in a moment when he feels completely abandoned and alone. Jesus doesn't curse God the father and die. Instead, he calls out to God, calls out to the father even when he seemed quiet, simply because he was his father. Jesus shows us what pure faith looks like. In fact, in Psalm 22, you know, these were the thoughts on Jesus' mind. This is all on his mind. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. Then I want us to slow down and look at these two verses. Psalm 22, 24 to 25. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Wait a minute. He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. You mean the father was listening? You mean the Father was not going to abandon me? Maybe that phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is better translated. My God, my God, why have you seemingly forsaken me? Because we even know from Acts 2, God was not going to abandon him to the grave. There was going to be a resurrection. Jesus would die. And when you're face to face with death, there are going to be moments when it feels like he's silent and he's not there. But there was going to be a resurrection. You too will face death one day unless Jesus comes back. But you too have a resurrection waiting for you. This was God saying, I'm not silent. I'm not away from you. I'm here. And Jesus knows Psalm 22. He's quoting it. Everything that's happening to him is recorded in the psalm. 
Just as the psalmist is trusting in the Father, so is Jesus. He's trusting in the Father for this, not my will, but your will be done. He's, he's leaning into him in this moment. But then look how the psalm ends. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This is the text. He's done it. Generation after generation, this is going to be proclaimed that God has done it. He did it. Does that not sound like the final words of Jesus from the cross? He begins Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then Jesus quotes the end of that Psalm too, which is, it is finished. He has done it. He has done it. He's done it. What does that mean to say it is finished? Well, the Greek word for it is finished in the business sense can mean the debt is fully paid. The debt is fully paid. In judgment in the courts, in that sense, it can mean the sentence is fully served. The sentence is fully served. Military terms, it can mean the battle is fully won. The debt is fully paid. The sentence is fully served. The battle is fully won. It means that Jesus accomplished what he came here to accomplish. The work of the Father that he came here to do, he did it. It was done. And he didn't do it alone. He did it relying on the Father. He has done it. It is finished. And Jesus cried out and he endured with faith until it could be said that God had done it. And my prayer today is that until God does whatever you're crying out for him to do, may that same faith live in you. That Psalm 22 should not just be David's lament. It's not just Jesus' lament. It's your lament. When you are going through these moments, when you come face to face with death, let Psalm 22 be your lament. And maybe it begins, why, why have you seemingly forsaken me? Maybe that's how it begins. But how it should end is he's done it. He's done it through his power, by his grace, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Let it be your psalm. And if you will, here's what's going to happen. Psalm 22, it will give you a voice in your suffering and feed your faith when you're struggling so that you will declare boldly, he's done it. You can come face to face with death and you can say, because of the resurrection of Jesus, as that psalm gives you a voice in your struggle, your voice in your suffering and feeds your faith in your struggle, it'll let you know that you can boldly declare he's done it. And he's not done doing it. Psalm 22 can carry you all the way from the why all the way to a victory roar. He's done it. And he will do this for you. The resurrection is a promise of that. That you can have hope in the face of death. And I'd like to uh, invite Todd Willis to come up here. Todd uh, is an example of the fact that God not only has done it, but he's still doing it. That God's still raising people to life. He's still giving people hope in the face of death. Todd shared his testimony at our Kingdom Men Conference this year. And 
I asked Todd if he would come and just share with you. So let's just welcome Todd right here as he shares his story with you about what God did. So, Thank you, buddy. Man. Thank you. Happy Easter, Northside. I grew up in a small town of Corona, California. I grew up around Jesus Christ, just not with Jesus Christ. I grew up with the thought process, money is all you need. I worked two and three jobs. I worked hard and play hard. I never felt full. I always felt empty. I became an alcoholic, addicted to drugs, found myself homeless with no job, and ended up in jail. My pride and joy, my daughter, was taken from me. Friends and family didn't want anything to do with me. I spent the next few weeks lost, tired, all alone. I was in a really dark place. I woke up one day and decided to pray. I had never prayed in my entire life. This was the first time praying. I prayed for God to give me strength to carry on. I prayed for a better life and to heal me from my addictions. I found myself that evening on a bus headed to Springfield, Missouri. Took me a couple weeks to get settled in. I got a job in a factory where I met my wife, Sonetta. We started a life together, raising our kids. Thought we were living the dream, but we was still missing something. Years later, my wife started going to church. I looked for every excuse not to go with her until one day my wife came home from church. There was something different about her. She was spiritual. She was very uplifting. Her whole demeanor changed, and I felt left out. I wanted that feeling also, so I decided I was going to go to church with her. I always thought church wasn't a place for me. Only good people go to church. I have seen and done some really bad things. God couldn't or wouldn't even want to help me. Have you ever thought or felt that way? God used the opportunity, the Kingdom of Men's 2022, and the testimony from JR that changed my life. I realized that all those dark times in my life and all my sin, I wasn't good enough for a holy God. None of us are. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us have lived the way God wants us to live. Be, uh, be saved in what that meant. We talked about how God made a way for us to be saved through Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on the cross so we would be forgiven shortly. After that, I was saved and baptized. Finally, I felt the fullness in my life. The emptiness, the darkness, the sin was gone. I was forgiven. I've come to realize God does want you, all of you. You don't have to be perfect. He'll take all the bad you've done in your life, all your sin, and forgive you. All you have to do is ask for it. Accept Christ as your Savior. Give him your heart and allow him to change your life. I'm trying to help others to know Jesus and understand what it means to be a Christian. I want others to feel what I feel, forgiven and free of sin. Imagine if we got the message out to the rest of the world that we're not defined by our past mistakes, but rather God's forgiveness. We have been restored back to God. We have been called, commanded to share the good news of Christ with everyone. Why wouldn't we want to? 
this is how God changed my life. I left you out of about talking to you, but I missed it. It's all good. <laughs> You're good, man. Yeah. Thank you. Todd, uh, I want you to say just real quick, one of the things you mentioned to me, you said you had two paths. There yep. were two options. Yep. And just share. You know, one, one path was to death. The other path was to, you know, Jesus Christ. And, you know, I chose Jesus Christ. It was just the best thing for me. I was fixing to die. I mean, the drugs, addictions, and all that was just tearing me up. So, but, I mean, I'm here now, and I'm so blessed and thankful to be here. Yeah. So, we, yeah. Us too. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, you, you, people are noticing. Yeah. Noticing everybody's this. noticing the change in me from work. I've known a lot of guys know me for a lot of years there. So they notice the change there. The house, you know, the family, everybody's just noticing the change. He does work miracles. I'll tell you. Praise he does. Yep. Praise God. Thanks for sharing your story, Thank man. You. Yep. Good you, Tom. Yep. Thank you. That's great. Praise God. It's awesome. You don't have sculptures like that without a resurrection. You don't have stories like that without a resurrection. You don't have life change without a resurrection. Only the resurrection of Jesus could give us forgiving grace to forgive us of our sins. And then transforming grace to make us like Jesus. Only the resurrection of Jesus can do that. And he's doing it. He's done it. He's going to do it again. He never stops working. He's still working. And he's changing Todd from the inside out. He wants to change you from the inside out so that you can declare with confidence he's done it. He's done it. In fact, I want you just to read with me up on the screen. I want to put 1 Peter 1, 3. And we're going to read this together out loud. Church family, just read it with me out loud. You're streaming from home. Go ahead and read it out loud with us. Here we go. Let's say it together. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What we have is a living hope. This is genuine hope, real hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's a living hope. Why is it living? Because Jesus is alive. Our hope's in him. He's a living hope in the face of of death. And we have that to celebrate today. We have that to carry us forward because of the resurrection of Jesus. You need hope. You need life. You need forgiveness. You need transformation. And Jesus wants to bring that to each and every one of you today. We're just like Todd. You too would say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of God who paid the price for my sins and the sins of this world. And he rose from that dead and ascended into heaven. That's the gospel. And that gospel is that that good news is for you so that you too can have life. That today you would repent of your sins and you would turn to Jesus, making him the Lord and King of your life. And that you too would be baptized into Christ, dying to your old self and being raised to new life. A resurrection is Romans 6 says. That's what God does in that moment. You too can have a resurrection. But first, before you get the physical resurrection, you need the spiritual resurrection. That one comes first. And today, God is giving you an opportunity to do that right now. Right here. What better day than on Resurrection Sunday? What's holding you back? What's 
keeping you from experiencing life, to go from death to life. Jesus wants you and his family right now. And I, I just want to encourage you to make that decision today on Resurrection Sunday. You know, um, here in this room, our prayer team's going to come down to the front, the sides of the stage here and to the sides of the room by those doors. And I just want to invite you today to just go pray with them. They've already prayed with a lot of you and they've been praying for you and they're here today because they want to pray with you right now. And maybe there's some heavy things that you're going through that you would love their prayer for whatever that is. Maybe there's some moments when you have felt forsaken or abandoned. You just want the presence of God to fill you, his strength to carry you through as you trust in him. It just could be anything that you're dealing with. We just want to invite you right now in a moment just to go pray with them. And then for anyone here who would like to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, maybe you want to become a member here at Northside, perhaps for you, you just want, you need to talk through something you're dealing with. I would love to do that. I'll be at decision point through those double doors just to your right in this room. I'd love to meet you there and pray and talk with you. But as we do these things, as we pray together, as we make decisions together, we're also going to be worshiping and singing together. And as we do, Our voices are going to be raised and joined with voices all over this world, roaring a praise to God for the resurrection of Jesus, that he's alive again. And we want to invite you to do it now as we celebrate that. So as you stand to your feet, let's respond together by praying together, making decisions together, and singing together. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.